nothing as a sponsor. So <laughs> Yeah, so like I'm standing there on the train and it's like hanging down. Millions of players, right? Uh, or um, hundreds of thousands of players. Tens of thousands some, of something players. Something like that. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. It was a lot of people. I, I just had like a terrible idea in my head. and I, I'm not going to say it, but I'll tell you after the podcast. What did it say? It was like, hey, buddy, if you need help with that rotation, let me know. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this week I have, uh, George Smith with me. Hi, I'm George. Uh, hello, George. Good to have you here. Um, so we're going to talk about a few things. I, I guess where I kind of wanted to start was, uh, you and I met maybe, um, I want to say about a year ago, um, roughly, uh, playing magic at a, at a game store, local yeah. game store nearby. Yeah. So, uh. There's a game store just down the street from here. Yeah, um, that uh, my friend Jonathan, who I guess has also been a guest on the store, on the I, show. I think um, his his episode actually is going to come out after yours. Oh, okay. Point, well, but, you'll yeah. get to meet this dude. But yeah, I've known him since elementary school, and uh, we both ended up in Austin. And he is involved running events at this store down the street. Um, and uh, yeah, he was like, "Hey, you should come play magic at this store." And I was like, "I like magic. I'll come play magic at your store." Um, and then, so I did. And then, uh, not too long after you showed up. Yeah. Um, you said kind of something interesting there that you both ended up in Austin. Are you both not from Austin originally? We're from Houston is where we met. Well, so you upgraded. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, every time I go to Houston, I like, oh man, I feel no connection to this city anymore. That's, it's not entirely fair because I actually do really like Houston. Uh, I think it's a great city. Um, fun place to, uh, I mean, I think it's better than what I thought it was going to be when I, I I lived there for maybe, I don't know, four or five months or something like that. And when I got there, I was determined that it was going to be the worst time in my life. And it ended up being actually a really great time. Um, so, I mean, I don't dislike it. Like I, I went to high school there. I grew up there. I have a lot of memories there, but, uh, I'm glad I'm in Austin. What brought you to Austin? Uh, work. Um, Okay. And what do you do? I'm a video game designer. That's pretty awesome. Uh, so uh, I guess let's go into that a little bit. Like what exactly does that entail? What What is designing a video game mean? Are you like actually coding it? Are you coming up with the storylines? Are you, uh, what, what parts of it do you do? Um, or do you do all of it? No, so <laughs> it's, the game I worked on the longest was a game called Star Wars Old Republic, which is basically... World of Warcraft, but Star Wars. Um, and the part I did was I scripted boss fights. So okay. like my team and I will get, to, we would get together and be like, okay, this is the way like, we would know that the story would be given to us by somebody. Sure. And then we were like, okay, so this is the story. Um, what are, what are the fights going to be like? Like what creatures are we going to use? What, what mechanics do we want? What themes do we want? So we would brainstorm all that and then we would go and we would make it. Um, and it's kind of, I, I love that it's it just like, so well, easy. we just made it and then, um, it's, and then it existed. It's kind of like programming, but it's not like typing it in C++ coding. Okay. It's more scripting of where like you set up conditions. It's like when this condition is true, then these events happen. And, oh, I see what you're saying. And then creating the abilities that they would use like 
oh, this guy, he does an ability that hits everybody, and when it hits them, it does damage, and they get something on them that when it expires, it leaves a puddle that does damage. Everyone has to spread out. Okay. That sort of thing. I see. So, so, so more like saying, like, when the boss gets down to half-life, he goes berserk, and exactly. he like does some crazy... That's pretty cool. So you're the asshole that has ruined my life in things like WoW, playing raids and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, not WoW specifically. Right, but, but yeah, that... <laughs> the yeah. same the same <laughs> thing, where we're like having to like communicate through Ventrilo and try and figure out what parts of the fire to stand on. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, how'd you get into that? How'd you... Uh, How'd you end up in that kind of role? So when I was in college, uh, I played a lot of EverQuest. Okay. A lot of EverQuest. Instead of doing all the other things that people were doing in college, like going out and drinking and having a lot of sex and all that, <laughs> I just played EverQuest. Um, and then so when I, uh, I finished college and then I moved back home mm-hmm. and I played more EverQuest. <laughs> uh, and then I also started to play a game called Dark Age of Camelot. Okay. Which is basically another one of that type of game. Okay. Um, and they, so I was living at that time in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. And that game in particular was made in Fairfax, Virginia, which is in Northern Virginia, kind of like DC suburb. It's just right up the road. Sure. And they were hiring customer service representatives, like in game customer service. Okay. So like, uh, like in, I, I know I'm going to relate this to wow. Cause it's the game that I played, but like if you had like a problem in wow, you could like message a game master and like a couple hours later someone would like be like hey what's going on like exactly. they would actually message you in game and then they'd be like oh someone hacked your account here's 100 gold or i don't know whatever right whatever fix they had for it okay. yeah that's that's exactly it that's what i did yeah cool. so um i applied for that job and i got it and i moved up there um and so what they did was you had access to the game tools sure but just read only Okay. So you couldn't actually make any changes, but like if someone said, Hey, this quest is broken, you would actually be able to look up the quest, go through it and see, Oh, it's broken because of this thing. Okay. So you could do some like basic testing of the quest, like validate the user experience with that thing. Okay, cool. And sometimes we would send emails to the developers and say, Hey, this quest is broken on this step. If the player does this thing and they go fix it. Sweet. Um, so then they, that same company, Mythic Entertainment, they were uh, ramping up to make another game called okay. Warhammer Online. And they needed just a bunch of people. And so customer service was kind of a convenient place to get people from because Warhammer was built on the same tools as Dark Age. Okay. So they kind of already had this knowledge, like you could just jump right in and start doing things. Okay. So that's what happened. They would bring a bunch of people up from customer service into development on Warhammer. And that's what happened to me. Right. And you say development earlier, you said kind of the stuff that you do now is not necessarily like coding, but were you doing coding and stuff no, like that? I guess that's the, and this was more of a mythic term, but at mythic, they would call anybody working on the game was a dev. Okay. Even if they were just designers or so. Okay. But that's kind of the separation between the two is a designer is someone that's uh maybe not doing code, but doing like more like what you said, like scripting events, like right. creating the order of events for a quest or something right. like that. Whereas or, cre- or yeah, designing like, Oh, this is what the guilds are like in our game. That sort of thing. Okay. Or just basically the interactions that users would have. And then 
that actually the code gets built by mm-hmm. some developer somewhere. Right. Actually <clears throat> builds the code to like to facilitate the interactions that exactly. you design. So yeah, I guess the typical the, cool. the flow is, is the designer comes up with the design and you give it to an engineer or a programmer. Sure. And then they go build it. Yeah. That's cool. Well, right on. Uh, and so then you were doing this for Warhammer Online and then you just moved over to another company and just kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, so Warhammer launched and it didn't do so hot. Um, <laughs> I don't remember it. Yeah, it, so. it didn't do so hot. <laughs> um, so I'd say that the writing was kind of on the wall at Mythic. Um, okay. And it just, it, it just, I didn't enjoy working there anymore. Uh, a lot of people I know had left. Sure. Um, and they had particular had gone to a company in California called Carbine. Okay. Um, so I kind of, there was definitely a little bit of like, well, I want to do that. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to apply there. And uh, I got hired. So I moved there to Southern California, Orange County. And I worked at Carbine on the game that became Wildstar. Okay. It's, it wasn't called Wildstar at the time, but that's what it ended up being. <laughs> uh, and so that was an interesting experience to go and work work on something because I had been on Warhammer man, like five years or something oh, wow. like that. So, so like just a totally new experience yeah. kind of thing. New game. Yeah, new game, new engine, new people, new everything. So, um, but they too were kind of uh, going through a rough time of development. Um, and got to the point where I didn't enjoy working there anymore. Sure. Um, basically the game that is out now was made after I left, uh, I think they kind of realized they were going through a tough time. They lost a bunch of people and uh, it was kind of a kick in the pants to them. To So they had that, there's very little in Wildstar that I actually built. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they, they ended up making a game. But uh, so I texted a friend who I knew from Virginia who was in Austin here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey man, hook me up. <laughs> and he did. He got me a job at Bioware Austin on Star Wars Old Republic. So that's, that's awesome. Been here ever since. So, uh, at, you know, going back to like, you know, I've, I've never played Star Wars Old Republic. I don't play a lot of online video games anymore, but, um, for a while in my life I played, uh, wow. And, you know, we, we'd go through these raids and you'd have, you know, people trying to coordinate all of these things. And there's even like add-ons that you could add to the game that would tell you when things were going to happen or what was going to happen next to prepare you for uh, these boss fights, which you now script. Uh, do you like just have all like, do you play star Wars old Republic? And then you're like, just super good at all the boss fights. Cause you know, exactly like all the little caveats to what's going oh, to happen. I mean, I know what's going to happen, but I won't say I'm good at the game. I remember there was one time in particular, uh, we did a stream online. Sure. Where it was like, Hey, we're going to do a raid with a developer. So I was in the raid doing it. And, uh, you were the developer. I was the developer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so like, it was like me and a community person. <laughs> nice. And, you know, she was kind of the host. It was like, yeah. hey, we're going to do this raid with George. And, uh, everybody queue up and come do it. So we were doing it. And, and people uh, were like excited, probably excited about doing this. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I I remember I got a, somebody sent me a message in game, which was blocked out. So you couldn't see it on the stream. Yeah. But it was like, uh, what did it say? It was like, Hey buddy, if you need help with that rotation, let me know. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess he uh, wasn't happy with the way I was playing my class. Like he knew that you were not good. That I did not know. What I, 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 this is one of those things. Like I probably knew what I was doing, but I wasn't like ultimate, you know, like, uh, yeah, you're not word. like optimum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're not practicing it. Like you're yeah. better at designing it than you are at like, 
fighting the yeah. thing that you designed. I but guess. it's still important to know, especially for that, like what players can do. Sure. And like you need to make things that challenge them. So. Have you ever, have you ever like run into that where you've built something either too easy or like ridiculously too hard and had to like go back on it and adjust or, or I'm, I assume that happens, but like, like I guess in some sort of significant way where you just made like, you were like, I don't know. I, I just have this image of like you up at like 3 AM just like, oh, like scripting it. Yeah. Just like, this is going to be <laughs> the best thing in the world. Um, uh, it, and then it just being just ruining people's lives for <laughs> a few um, weeks. There's, there was definitely some of that. Like, so there was different difficulty modes. Sure. So like, you know, we'd be very cognizant of the, like, okay, in the easiest mode, we, we won't have anything that requires voice communication. Okay. And then in the, the middle mode, we're like, okay, we're at this point, we'll assume that they have voice mm-hmm. and that they can communicate things like that. Right. So there would definitely be times voice communication is in like, like an external ventrilo yeah. or something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. So like <laughs> we would never have anything in the easiest mode that would require somebody to call out something that you wouldn't be able to see very clearly okay. in the game. I see what you're saying. Um, but then the very hardest mode was called nightmare mode. And we would just do things that like seemed crazy. <laughs> and there'd be times where like we'd have player meetups um, or we'd be, uh, a lot of times we would watch players play. Sure. Like as they would stream it on Twitch or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then later on they would, there'd be questions of, uh, so how did you think people were going to get past this? Like, oh, we don't know. We would just, we would just come up with the, we would just come up with crazy stuff. And in that hardest mode, they never fail that they'd get past it. They would always end up beating it. They'd always, you could never come up with something better than what the players could be. Right. As long as we stayed with like mathematically within what was possible. Sure. Like, you know, although they have this much healing and they output this much damage. If we just do crazy. Like, like you could make a number like a billion and then they could never win. Right. Or like something. if you just, if you pulled the boss and he two shot your tank and then killed the rest of your raid in one second, it's like, yeah, we could do that, but that's no fun. Right. Like, yeah. So, so, so you still had like some, some sort of guideline to like do it, but you would just make it. They'd be like, yeah, what is the, with this boss in particular, what is the silliest thing we can do? <laughs> like as far like just turning his mechanics up to 11, 15, so can you tell us about like one of the silliest things you've done with a with a boss? Like uh maybe if someone's listening that knows about Star Wars Old Republic um, or this gonna sound so nerdy. That's okay. Um, <laughs> uh what was her name? Oh, Brontus, Dreadmaster Brontus. Uh so she had a mechanic where like kind of in her final phase, sure or the second to final phase, there would be these orbs of energy that would spawn. Yeah. And that she she had these tentacles on her back so there'd also be these big tentacles kind of in the arena yeah and every time those tentacles would slap down to do damage Mm -hmm. they would also burst the bubbles (laughs) or the the orbs yeah so the people tanking the tentacles would have to kind of turn them around so that they would hit the orbs and like there wouldn't be too many that was damaging everybody else sure so in the final stage and i'm i know this isn't I'm, i'm it's been a while, so the details are fuzzy. Yeah. But basically, you had to kill the tentacles, right, in the final yeah. stage. Mm-hmm. But you also, what we did in nightmare mode was, like, we had orbs continue to spawn. Mm-hmm. So you would have to kill the orbs and kill the tentacles. 
So it kind of, and then event, so like, you know, you would lose half your ability to bust orbs and then you lose all of it and just kind of became like a chaotic mess. But, and that was the thing where people were like, how did you expect people to beat this? Like, <laughs> I don't know, but people did. So people figured it out. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I, I like the idea of the, uh, just the eventuality of, uh, players being able to figure anything out. Like if you put enough people on a problem, cause you, millions of players, right? It, um, or hundreds of thousands of players, tens of thousands some, of players. Something like that. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. It was a lot of people, but yeah, you, you put enough people on it and you give them the same problem over and over and enough determination, you know, you know, again, like I've been in raid groups where it's like, we're beating this today. Like it doesn't matter what the fuck it takes or, how much gold it costs us to like buy stupid items that we would never need. Otherwise, uh, like we're going to beat this today and just having that determination and then us not even being the ones that beat it. But simultaneously there was like, yeah, I don't know, 150, 200 guilds that were also doing the same thing. And just eventually you come up with the like right combination of people who have, enough time on their hands to like just dump into figuring this out. And then also just so much skill in the game, uh, probably also because they have so much time on their hands. I think there's definitely a correlation. Uh, but just a lot of skill in the game, um, which is actually another kind of interesting thing of, of, uh, video games in general, you know, like a lot of people. So I've only more recently become kind of aware of like these things where people are streaming, live tournaments and there's these world championships of video games online. Like I remember growing up as a kid and yeah, I played video games and even in college and stuff like that, I played video games, but it was never like, you know, again, going back to like, we play magic at a, at a game store every week. Um, but even that's like, you know, marginally competitive. We're not like actually playing like to win, huge money, but there's this huge thing around like gaining skill in these games. What's crazy to me is like, you know, like let's say you learned chess, you could play chess competitively for the rest of your life. You could get really good skill wise, but with a video game, eventually people are just going to stop playing that game. Like it, it phases out, right? right? Like, um, the same could potentially be said about magic. Magic is kind of an anomaly that in that it's like, just continued to stay around forever. And the mechanics change a little bit here and there, but overall it's the same game. Um, so you can get better over time. You could have played for the last 20 years and just be really good versus someone that just picked it up now. But what's so crazy to me about video games is that they come out and it's, it's a very short amount of time before someone is like crazy good at this game. And then they win these world championships and then eventually that game just dies effectively and they have to like do it all over again. I mean, I don't know if I, what question I was, I mean, I guess like, do you think it's, is it that maybe this is actually something that would be good to, so you've designed other games as well. Like do you design mechanics around the same kind of ideas? Is that how people like, okay, like I get it you know, it's a tentacle and bubbles, but, and in this other game, it's fire and places I have to stand. Is it, is it effectively the same mechanics and I'm just like reutilizing a lot of those things or are we, or is it so different that people have to relearn from the beginning? Um, 
it's kind of been interesting because after I moved off of Star Wars Old Republic, I moved on to another game, which is completely, it was a shooter game. It was completely different. Sure. So I had to learn a lot of, because not everything translated, right? Like there were a lot of things you could do in, a lot of assumptions you could make and you had more ways of delivering information in Star Wars. Sure. Than we had on Mass Effect. So like you couldn't, in like there'd be a lot of times in Mass Effect or in Star Wars, we'd, we'd put an effect on the player. Mm-hmm. And the only way to know what was happening was you'd have to read the tiny little, like you'd get a little debuff, little square on you, right? Sure. And you yeah, have to yeah. mouse over it and it says, this is what's happening where that doesn't exist in Mass Effect. So like you have, everything you do has to be very clearly explained. You, Which is also kind of weird because you're saying clearly explained, but it's not like we're going to throw up a paragraph of text right, every there's time no, something There's very happens. little text. Yeah, it's it all it's has like to when be, you get shot, like the screen like flashes red and it's like, oh, I just got hit. Right, exactly. Yeah, so um, it's kind of having to learn that, oh, we can't do this kind of abstract type of, or these very complicated, intricate mechanics in this game because there's just a, the, when we were doing raids, kind of like you were talking about, we knew we were appealing to like just the top of the pyramid. So we could make certain assumptions. And like, even in the, the easy mode of the raid, we knew that percentage wise of people who played the game, very little were going to interact with the raids. Yeah. So we could assume that they could have, at a minimum, have a certain amount of skill, right? Where okay. the people who would make the the story content, they had to make no assumptions about the skill of the player. Yeah. They basically assume that even though the player has dozens of abilities, that the base level player is literally just hitting one over and over and doing the, just the most basic attack. That's how I play video games, <laughs> by the way. So, um, but on kind of when you make more of a mass market triple A type game like Mass Effect Andromeda was. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't make those assumptions. So you everything had to be more because every game involves all types of players. Right. Instead of what you're saying is that in Old Republic there's there's a mass of people that play the game and never get to that tier of game or that tier of the game that you were designing for versus in Mass Effect like the entirety of the game is basically given to you right up front. And so everyone is experiencing all of that exactly, game. Exactly. And, um, and, and for the people who would pay attention, you have less ways of giving them information. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like you could put a debuff on a player in star Wars and chances are nine out of 10 people wouldn't even read it. But the people doing the raid would definitely read it because they're like, Oh, I need to know what's happening to me right now. Yeah, well, they probably wouldn't read. They would figure out what it does, and then they would remember what that square means. Right, yeah, the next time they would see that icon, they'd be like, okay, these are the players who are marked for this ability. They need to go run over there. Yeah, and then you would just yell that over vent, like, you know, like character names or group five, run to whatever. Johnson, you got the marker, go run. Yeah, so uh, in Mass Effect, there was none of that. And the tentacles. Exactly, so yeah, (laughs) but Mass Effect, there was there wasn't that way of communicating. So everything had to be much more straightforward. And so, yeah. And I, I get how that could be very different, especially like type of game or style of gameplay. Because one's a MMO, which, right. um, not to, not to try and say one is better than the other, but I feel like in an MMO, you're talking about a lot more complex gameplay in, in the sense that there's, 
the things that you do at the very beginning of the game are very different from the things that you do at the end of the game. Right. Versus like a first person shooter from the start to finish your weapons might change. There might be minor tactical changes, but for the most part, you're playing the same game. Right. Start to finish. Um, but, but again, going back to, so like the idea, this is actually a really good point. So like if I get really good at first person shooters or at Mass Effect Andromeda, and then that game dies and a new game comes out, another first person shooter, I'm probably going to have a lot of the skills that are required to be good at that game. I assume a lot of the controls will be similar. Right. Um, and you're probably, I guess what more what I was getting to is like, let's say you had to design for another first person shooter game. Would you be designing very similarly to those things where like the skills and I guess the way that you pay attention to what's happening translates game to game versus, um, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it is exactly, you know, you talk about these squares for debuffs and that sounds exactly like how wow works at least for debuffs and stuff like that. So maybe that's how, you know, you you learn the mechanic like the underlying mechanics of games uh, or of a style of games and then you're just designing kind of around those mechanics right and i think like kind of what you were talking about before where it's like you, some people would get really good at this one game yeah but i think that that translates more because there was a time when they had um basically they brought in a bunch of people like and some of them were well known Mass Effect streamers. Others were streamers from other shooting games. Mm-hmm. And they said that some of them like were basically pros at other games. Mm-hmm. But they would come in and like the way they played Mass Effect was like the way they moved their mouse and the way they would get headshots. You could tell that right away that they were good. Because they already understood like the mechanics of a right. first person shooter. Exactly. Even though Didn't they have had to be never the played that game before. Yeah. You could tell, oh, this guy's good. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely kind of a shared language. And I think that just kind of like in the way that some pro magic players that go to play poker. Yeah. There's definitely skills that translate across. So it's, it's an interesting, <coughs> interesting thing. Uh, so are you working on something cool now or can you not talk about it? Um, it's announced now. It's called Anthem. Anthem. What, yep. what is Anthem? Um, I don't know what I can say. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a, there's a trailer out there that that was uh, released at E3. So. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, check out Anthem, uh, new game from uh, Bioware. Yep. Uh, coming out at some point. Some point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a trailer that they released at E3. Um, maybe uh, we'll take a break. I'll look into what it is, and uh, I'll I don't know. Then I'll know. <laughs> you guys can find out yourselves. All right, uh, we're going to take a short break, uh, get new beers, and we'll be right back. back from our break here uh just got another beer uh we're drinking a kind of an interesting one uh from i might be pronouncing this incorrectly but it's uinta brewing company we're having their lime pilsner uh, which is 
a nice refreshing touch to a really freaking hot day in Austin, Texas. It's delicious. Um, it says Texas ale on it, which is weird. Or is that just TX ale? I don't know. You went to, they're from Salt Lake city, Utah. Uh, they're not a sponsor, but, uh, nothing is a sponsor. So, <laughs> so let's, uh, be real about that. Uh, anyway, um, last segment, we had a kind of a fun discussion about video games, which was cool. Um, but this section, uh, George, you said you wanted to get into, um, I guess maybe some of your hobbies, uh, you currently are learning Japanese. Is that correct? Yeah. So I take a Japanese class once a week. Um, and and like Japanese language or is it like a culture class? No, it's only, it's language. Okay, cool. How's that going? Um, so I took Japanese in college, like all throughout college. Um, so, uh, this was kind of, a like I needed something to do during the week. Sure. Um, and uh, it's like, oh, there's this Japanese cultural association in Austin that uh, offers classes. And it was just perfect. So it's been a good time. Uh, it's been a good refresher. Um, though I'm not where I was in college, where I could write papers in Japanese. I don't know if I'll ever be back there, but uh, it's been a good time. Um, I'm actually going to Japan for the fourth time. Fourth time? In wow. September. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So when was the first time you went to? During Japan? college. I did a like, summer there, yeah. Like a semester or something like yeah. that? That's cool. Um, was it like a, I guess, yeah, you study abroad program or whatever? Yeah, it was with, you know, a bunch of people from my school went and then we stayed at a dorm with a bunch of people from all over the world and took classes at a university there. It was uh, it was neat. And everything, obviously you're taking these classes all in Japanese, so you had to no Japanese. Yeah, I guess there was a definitely a base assumption of you could take classes in Japanese. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Did you do well then? I mean, I suppose so. I right? mean, it was yeah. Um I learned a lot. Um I still learn a lot. Um it's definitely it's a hobby for sure. Like I don't have any expectations as to what like my max. Like I don't think I'll ever be fluent unless I live there. Sure. Um, but well, uh, you've been four times. Is it something that you want to visit more often or maybe one day move there or something like that? Um, or I don't, it's, it's tough. Like it's for me, it's definitely, it's an amazing place. Like there's sure there's nothing like when you go there, it's just immediately, it's a different world. Um, and there's both like the big city aspect of it. Um, you know, with, you know, everybody's super close together. Uh, like that kind of appeals to me. But then there's also the, if when you go on the countryside, it's kind of just nothing but rice fields and it's very peaceful and quiet. Um, okay. So there's like these, these two aspects of it. And there's this, uh, it's hard to describe, but yeah, it's a very, it's an amazing place. So I would, I would definitely like to visit there regularly. I don't know if, like if, if this video game thing doesn't work out, um, <laughs> We've, Seems like it's working pretty well. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But uh, I could, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that I would go teach English there again. And you did you do that? Yeah, at that some was point? that was the second time I went. Oh, so was, the second uh, time you actually taught? Yeah, there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, were you teaching? Like, was this like a, a like a curriculum in some sort of school or a college or? 
So um, probably the most well-known way to do it is called the JET program. Okay. Which is, that's where you get put into an actual public school. Uh, what I did was I worked at an Akaiwa, which is English conversation, but basically it's a, people pay to essentially get to talk with a native speaker. Like that's, that's the service they offer. Interesting. Um, and it was definitely like the way the, the so basically like you would show up that day mm-hmm. and you'd get a list of like, Hey, these are your students for this day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and however many sessions we would do and you would have so many minutes in between class to look at those people, pull their files, see which classes they hadn't taken yet. Mm-hmm. And then like try to find one that like all those three people hadn't done. Okay. And, but then there would also be people who like had been going there for years. So they had done all the base classes. Sure. So, and like, yeah, the time pressure was tough and I, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, so, I mean, maybe walk through me, walk me through like what, one of these classes would have been like, like you said, they're just paying just to talk to someone who knows how to speak English. Yeah. But it's been a while. So I don't really remember, but i I think it would be like, Oh, this is, let's talk about how to order food in a restaurant, like that sort of thing. Okay. So then like there would be a little activity where I would, you know, like I would read it and then they would do the conversation and then we would kind of just talk about it. Okay. And all in English. Yeah. All in English. Yeah. Did you have to understand Japanese? No, not at all. I would say that most of the people working there didn't at all. That's kind of weird. Like what happens if they absolutely don't understand you? Um, you just deal with and it. I just deal. Well, yeah, it, there was no assumption or requirement of any Japanese ability. And I think it's the same thing for jet. Like you really are there to be a native English speaker. Like that's your primary. You're, they are already learning grammar and such. In sure. Normal classes from a Japanese teacher. Oh, so, like grant, like English grammar and right. such. Okay. Yeah. So, and like, I, I don't know what jets like, but yeah, it, like as far as how, what are the lessons like, but yeah. it was definitely, yeah. The main thing you bring to the table is no accent, native English for them to listen to. Wow. That's, that's so, cause I, I don't know. Does that exist in the United States? Do we have that for like other languages kind of? Maybe this club that you're kind of doing is, uh, is, is a club. Did I get that right? It's a, it's called jazz guy. I don't know what it stands for, but okay. It's like a nonprofit Japanese cultural thing. Yeah. But it's kind of like that because, yeah, they have teachers who they're not actual. I don't think any of them have actual teacher training. Yeah. They're, Similar. Like right. you went over to Japan maybe with no teacher training. Yeah, is that not correct? at all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so similar kind of thing. Right. Where, yeah, the biggest thing they bring to the table is that they're Japanese. Yeah. Interesting. That's really... Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, uh, and do you pay for this? Like, is it something you pay for? Or is it just like open to the public? No, yeah. You pay per semester. Yeah. Okay. Is it, is it something like, is it like taking a college class expensive or is it like, it's, I have a hobby expensive. It's like 200, 300 per quarter, I guess it is. Oh, that's for not like that 10 bad. classes. So yeah, it's not, 
it's not cheap, but it's also not crazy expensive. Okay. That's cool. Well, right on. Uh, and so, I mean, what got you interested in Japanese in the first place, I guess? Um, so, I mean, I can admit Japan it. And I'm culture. open about it. When I was in high school, junior high, like, I got into anime. I think like a lot of people did. And this was just at the beginning when that was starting to become mainstream. Okay. When like Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon and such were on TV. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I got into that. And uh, it kind of became a, I don't think it's too much of a stretch that when you get into that and you start to watch it in Japanese, like, oh, I want to, I want to learn this. Um, so you were watching it in Japanese. Um, there were, so there was a Japanese grocery store in Houston and that would rent, basically they would record stuff off Japanese TV mm-hmm. and rent it. <laughs> so I had a Japanese friend who went and showed me this. I was like, Oh, this is amazing. So I would go rent stuff. I didn't understand any of it, but it was all, it was fascinating nonetheless. So you're just like watching a TV show with zero context. You have like no idea what's going on. No idea. But it was (laughs) fascinating. Like I said, nonetheless. Um, and then he actually was the one who gave me, he gave me like a kid's book that was like, learn your ABCs, but it was learn your hiragana and katakana, which are like the Japanese syllables. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I started. I taught myself how to read, those two scripts from that book. Um, and then uh, I started to take, when I graduated high school and I started to go to HCC, Houston Community College, uh, I started to take Japanese classes there. And one day I asked my teacher, I was like, hey, where should I transfer to go learn more Japanese? She said, oh, the University of Oregon. And so that's what I did. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I ended up going to University of Oregon instead of Japanese there. That's pretty awesome. It reminds me a lot of, uh, so when I was in college, um, I I had a couple of friends, uh, one in particular that was from Iceland. Um, and I remember just very, like right in the beginning when we met, he his grammar wasn't great, but he could, he could speak English um, fairly well for like someone that, you know, from a, from a country that doesn't speak English just in general, right? Um, and uh, I, I mean, I assume they don't. I've never been to Iceland. That, that might have been really rude to say. I don't know. I don't know what I just did, but, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, he, he was, he's from Iceland. He, we went to college together. Um, and very early on, like it was, it was difficult to like, he would make a lot of mistakes, uh, but he would make these like weird mistakes that were like, they would be right in the correct context. Uh, but, in the context he was using them, they were just incorrect. And I, for the life of me, I can't think of an example, but you know, trust me when I say, I guess that the English language is ridiculous and you can say the same thing a billion different ways with the exact same words and mean entirely different things. I know. I think (laughs) when you learn another language, your, your first instinct is to like, okay, so this is what I want to say. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well I need to take every word in this sentence and translate it. Yeah. When that's usually not the case, right? It's like, you need to know how to convey that idea. Yeah. But it may be one word in the other language. Yeah. It could be a totally different thing. Uh, but what he said, and it reminded me of what you were just talking about is the way that he learned English was, uh, apparently in Iceland, they get a lot of American, uh, TV programming. It just like comes on their TV. And so a lot of people in Iceland know how to speak English, 
uh, because they just watch American TV shows and movies or especially movies. I think he said was like, there's not really any Icelandic blockbusters coming out, you know, that, right. you know, subtitled in English. No or Icelandic like Hollywood. Yeah. And most of them, most of the movies from Hollywood are, are coming out um, and they don't make Icelandic subtitles for them. They just, in their movie theaters, they're just like, here you go. Here's a movie. Go enjoy it. Right. And, and the people that live there just go to the movies and they watch this movie. And similar to what you did, like renting uh, just Japanese television shows, they just watch it with like no context. Uh, and then at some point they learn some things or whatever, and they start to understand a little bit of, of what's going on in, in the thing. And they learn English um, kind of in a, maybe the best way to learn English, which is just like talking to other people. Like, right. you know, it, I, I've taken a lot of Spanish classes and the Spanish that you learn is like not the Spanish that you'll ever use, you know, cause in conversation it changes and there's slang and uh, in every language, there's some sort of like a flexion, inflection that can change the meaning. Uh, especially in, uh, I don't know if this is specific to the English language, but things like sarcasm and stuff like that, where like, uh, meaning something completely opposite of what you say. Right. Uh, and all of those things are used in American movies and television shows. And so he would learn those things. But then, like I said, he would like learn a sarcastic, what should be a sarcastic phrase, but then he would say it very literally and it wouldn't like work. It didn't make, (laughs) like, even though he was actually saying exactly what was happening or what was supposed to happen, it was just like, uh, it didn't fit the context of what was going on because that phrase should have been taken very sarcastically or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting that it was kind of like the sim because I feel like that doesn't exist really in the United States. Like, uh, if, if nothing else, uh, we're privileged in the fact that like any movie that comes over here is English subtitled. It's in English. Yeah. Yeah. It's either in English or it's, you know, like even some of the best, like, uh, you know, French movies or foreign films and things like that. They're always subtitled for us. Like everyone does that, but th- that's not the case in other countries. Um, so to see that you had basically the reverse experience from a different country is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but that is true. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of the, like you were saying where you, you learn one way, but it doesn't always apply. Um, I think the, the kind of Japanese you learn in class is, Typically, if you watch Japanese TV or Japanese shows, it's how women tend to speak or it's slightly more polite. And so that's very easy for me to understand. But then if guys start to speak and especially supposed to be like a tough guy, like where they'll, you'd have to hear it, but they like roll their R's and certain things like that. It, to me, it sounds like a different language. Like I don't understand. I didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely, um. Yeah, you can. There's only so much you can learn in class. Like you have to be exposed to it. To, sure. Uh, have you ever made like a like just like a I don't know just incredible mistake? Like said something just so out of place. Like I don't know. Like uh, you know, one of the jokes we used to make was like we learned uh, in Spanish class very early on. We learned how to say like uh, uh, the words pants, fire, and trash can. 
And so like somehow like the only sentence that we could form were like, help my pants are on fire in the trash. Can. <laughs> like it was, that was all that we had like to, to be able to put together. I mean, that's a little more ridiculous thing, but, but even in that same sense, you know, like, you know, there's words in English that if you use them in specific context mean completely different things than what that word by itself, just like dictionary definition of that word means. Right. Have you ever like confused something so bad that it meant not what you meant or like, uh, you know, like the, the famous one, Nick bin ein Berliner and he <laughs> called himself a jelly donut. Right. <laughs> uh, um, um, yeah, there's definitely in Japanese, there's a lot of those kind of traps where like, you refer to your mom and someone else's mom by a different word. Okay. Um, but I, I think you'd get some leeway as a foreigner on that. Sure. I, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like everyone gets leeway yeah. on this, on this things as a foreigner, but, but just like looking back being going like, I just like, if I referred to your mom as the word for my mom, like is it like as comically hilarious as that sounds no, like, or not, not really. Okay. Um, it's not like calling yeah. myself a jelly donut no, when I, I meant to call myself a person from, from Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. Um, the words for hospital and beauty parlor are really similar. Okay. One's bioing, one's bioing. Um, <laughs> but I guess the, when I did, um, the first time I went there for college, one week I, of that, I just week, had like a terrible idea in my head and I'm not going to say it, but, I'll tell you after the podcast (laughs) Um, hospital and beauty parlor. um, Oh God, it's terrible. One week of it was homeschool or homestay. Sure. And my homestay was rare because I guess one of the kids who was kind of volunteering to work with us. Sure. He specifically requested me. I guess he liked me. Okay. Uh, So I went to his house and stayed. It was really, but Every day when I would come home, and this was during the summer, and in Japan it's very hot and humid. Um, Similar to here, or hotter, oh, hotter, hot, more really? humid for sure. Wow, more humid. Well, for I sure. guess island, right? So yeah. you're like close to the water all the and time. So you know, and there was a lot of walking because you'd have to walk from the train station. I remember in particular that to his house from the train station was quite a hike. Um, so every day she would she would tell me to take a shower, but. The way she did it, I didn't, I was never sure if it was a suggestion like, oh, it's hot. Or do you want to take a shower? It would be nice. Yeah. Or, oh, or you're, like, you're gross. Yeah. You need to take a shower. <laughs> and like, so some days I would and other days I wouldn't. And I could never tell. If it was a suggestion. Right. Or, like I totally like understood every word she said. Like it yeah. was very clear that she, there was some level of like either suggesting or telling you to take a shower. Sure. But I just didn't have that context. Do you, do you think like now thinking back, you have that context? Like you, honestly, I don't though. I'd have to add, I think I've even asked somebody and they told me, Oh, I know there he was, she was more telling you what to do. Okay. But yeah, I think that was the number one, like, yeah, I've never done anything super embarrassing, but where it's (laughs) like, I understood all the words, but I still don't know what to do. So that's also interesting too, because, uh, like the same thing, like, like if, um, like if, I don't know, you were a guest in my house and you like walked a half a mile in Texas heat and, and came through the door and I was like, you should go take a shower. Like that's very distinctively the fact, like I'm telling you go take a shower effectively. 
but then there's the whole, even there's the whole level of I'm a guest and maybe I do stink, but it's probably not appropriate for you to tell me to take a shower at your Well, I don't know. Right? Maybe that's like a cultural difference. Well, but I know, but that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like coming at it from our culture, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I guess so, but you were staying there for a while, right? Yeah. So you're less of a guest and more like a someone that kind of lives there for a for a time. Right. You know, so even the same thing, like like if you were just like living in my house for a while and I'd be like, go take a shower because you stink or whatever versus like, hey, it was hot out. Like you might want to jump in the shower. It's really nice. I just took one. Right. You know, it. what's surprising to me is that the 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 words. So all of the things that I just said are very different words. Like you should go take a shower or go take a shower are very different, very different from like, would you like to go take a shower? Right. Or, Hey, a shower is available. Would you like to have one? Or, you know, like they're very different sentences. And what you were saying is, is like exactly the same words. Right. Um, that's, that's kind of, how how do you differentiate that context? Or maybe you still don't know, I guess. Um, I mean, like, I definitely know that the way she said it wasn't the most polite way. But, yeah, again, it's the, it was just, I, do, I at the time, and I still don't, I just didn't know what that really meant, right? Yeah. And I think that's kind of a thing about Japanese, and I'm sure all languages, it's just the, you understand the words, but you need to understand the unspoken thing behind those words. And, um, and that's really difficult to get Yeah, out of, out of, especially out of school. And I'd say that there's a lot of kind of Japanese politeness games. Sure. That like, you know, one thing they, you know, we always talked that we always would learn in school was how to, when you go to somebody's house, you need to bring them a gift. But the first thing they're going to do is refuse that gift. Yeah, because they have to. Right. right. It's like but then culturally. No, but then you need to be like, no, no, no. This is just a little thing. It's nothing. Please take it. And then. They're going to refuse it again. Right. It's this dance you have to do. And like eventually they're going to take it. But, you know, you need to be prepared that that's going to happen. And you can't be like, hey, I, hey, I bought you something. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. I shouldn't. I can't. They're like, oh, okay. Like, no, no. You need to, <laughs> yeah. you need to continue playing this game with them until it finally becomes okay for them to take it. What's what's funny is I've heard that before too. It's like, I've never been to Japan. I've always wanted to go, uh, but I've heard that about, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily just Japanese culture. It might just be Asian culture in general. Is that that similar thing? Um, I could be totally wrong. I'm swinging for the fences here, uh, but, uh, but it kind of also exists in art, you know, like, I mean, to a lesser extent, you know, like you bring a bottle of wine to a party and they're like, oh, you totally didn't have to. I guess there's still that acceptance of like saying like, oh, we'll totally take it. You didn't right. need to do this. Right. I would say Less that like when refusal. that happens, it's usually like they take it and they're like, oh, you shouldn't have. But like there's never this point where they like refuse to take it. Right. Yeah. So they're like actually like it's like, no, I, I can't like, no, take it back. Exactly. Like, like yeah pushing it away right. effectively. They, yeah. And then eventually you have to say like, and Yonaku, which is basically, please take this without the, the ceremony, without the, without this game. Like that's kind of like the end of it. And then they'll take it. So, so that, so, but you can't start with, you that. can't start with that. No, 
Yeah. So you have you have to play the game you a have little to build bit, up to it, yeah. And then you say it, and they're like, "Okay, okay yeah. we played the game." Yeah. And uh, does anyone ever? Does it ever? Like, does anyone ever like play the game and then actually not follow through? I don't think so. I, I would think I. I don't think I ever actually did the that thing the give somebody a gift. So I, I never actually saw it fall through. Interesting, but, but I'd imagine that it's. It happens that like it pretty much goes out as scripted. Yeah. I'm saying like, uh, I wonder if it ever goes down to like, like I could see it going very easily two ways. Like if I was a foreigner and I didn't really know what I was doing and I was like, Hey, I brought you this gift and you like me, you like refused it. And then like, I feel awkward and I was like, okay. And then you just didn't have it. And then it goes that way and it's incorrect. Or it goes the the correct way, and it's like, oh no, I brought you this, and they're like, no, no, I can't, and you're like, but you should, and no, but I really can't, but like, let's stop playing this game and have this thing, and then they're like, okay, and then they take it. But I wonder if there's like a middle ground in those two, where it's like we play the game a few times, and eventually I just get tired of you refusing, and I go, all right, all fine, right. <laughs> and then I just like keep the gift. Like I'm sure it has in uh, the history of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I want, and I also wonder if it was like a foreigner that like maybe didn't realize the, the cultural game that they were playing was like actually that polite that they were like, no, no, take this thing. And they were like, oh no, 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 I absolutely can't. And you're like, oh no, but you, you totally can. And then they refused again and they were like, one more time, I'm going to try to give you this thing. Right. And they're like, I, I absolutely cannot take it. And then they were like, all okay. right, well, I'm not going to pressure you into yeah. this, you know, and then just like, I don't know, just kept the bottle of wine under their arm for the rest <laughs> so of the party or like, whatever. I'm to take this back out to my car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just sorry for intruding on your, on your area. But uh, it's uh, like, if you go to a Japanese department store, there will be a whole floor dedicated to boxed gifts. Like, what do you mean boxed gifts? Just like boxed, anything in boxes like specifically for giving us gifts. Um, do you know what's in the box? Yeah, you do. Okay. But it's like things like beer. I remember last time I was there a couple of years ago, there was a sign on the train for some kind of limited release beer. And it was in a box of like 12, but not like a 12 pack, but like they were each one laid out individually next to each other in a box that like you would take the top off of. be like, Oh look, I brought you this beer. Oh, it's like, like, like a gift. Yeah, box. exactly. It's packaged like for a gift, gift box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's a big thing. I feel like that'd be a fun thing to do if you ever started your own company or something like that to like release things in like box well, like sets. Super fancy gift boxes. Yeah, like once a year or something right. like that, but like just do it. Like that's the only way you can buy this product is it comes with like I don't know, tinsel and shit. Just like, just like really well laid out in this. It would be great for like beer. Like it, once a year, you just release this thing and it comes in this like presentable, right. you know, you don't even have to wrap it. You just hand it to someone and they open it up and it's, but I, so there's like a whole floor you said of like a department store that is just this. Yeah. And the uh, boxes are open. You can see kind yeah, of, yeah. you know this, what's in it, but yeah, it's definitely like it's packaged for gift giving. Yeah. And like, I think that happens kind of around Christmas time here. Like, yeah, know. we have box sets of, or like gift boxes, even, you know, to talk about like beers and liquors and right. stuff like that. You'll see that where it's like a bottle with like two glasses, but this is year this round. This is year round. Yeah. This is just because like, I might 
end up going over to someone's house this weekend. Right. Yeah. I need to and you said the over. beer was like on a train. This the ad was on a train. Oh, the ad was on. Yeah, a train. so like I'm standing there on the train and it's like hanging down. It's like, oh, look at that! It's a fancy beer gift box. <laughs> yeah. And this was in October. So I I do think the beer is especially uh, interesting because like you know like if I came over to your house I'd probably bring beer and uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't dress it up I'd be like hey man I brought I you brought you a six brought you a six pack yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know just this uh, lime pilsner from. Uh, I can't even remember how to say this. They're never going to sponsor you. They're not going to sponsor me, but I'm going to, I really enjoy the beer. It's it's really good good beer. Uh, you into, um, but, uh, yeah, like I would never go out of my way to make that prettier than the box that it came in. I'd be like, here you go. Here's your six pack. Also, I'm going to take one, (laughs) (laughs) by the way, (laughs) we're going to drink this together and I'm going to have one. Um, that's that's so crazy. I mean, it is it is kind of a wholly different culture and something that yeah. I don't know. And I think what I learned the most from the first time I went is I went there with the impression that as an American, I had no culture, right? Like, I, not that I looked down on being American, but I was like, oh man, I'm learning all these things about this place with such a rich and intricate culture. Yeah, that um, there's. Being an American has no definition to it, right? Sure. But once I went there, I quickly realized, like, oh, no, there's things that are distinctively American, and I miss them. Even being around other foreigners, because both when I was there for school and when I taught, like, most of the time I was spent was with foreigners. But especially teaching English, Americans were the minority. It was mostly Australians and New Zealanders and such. And definitely would get to the point where I would see somebody like a white person and I would be, man, please let this person be American, please. (laughs) And as soon as they'd open their mouth, I could tell they weren't. I was like, Oh, I just want to hang with an American. So like, I definitely gained an appreciation for being American and like what are things that are American and the, that's, that's also really interesting too. Cause I've seen this, uh, because of, uh, I don't know. I think it comes up on my Facebook every once in a while where like um, things that are like falsely American uh, probably exist. Right. Like um, like the so the same thing like here, like people get Japanese uh, tattoos, like characters on the thing. Right. And it's like buying into this culture that they know nothing about. Uh, And it's it's kind of like this false idea of the culture. But but it's the Americanized idea of it. And the same thing exists in other countries, like the Japanese idea of what American culture is and how that affects like the things that they buy. Like um, one of my favorite things is uh, I know we have them here too in other languages, but specifically in like, uh, I think it's in specifically in Japan, like they'll have shirts that just have like random American words oh, yeah. or English words on them. And it's like, it means nothing, it was but it's, they were everywhere and yet they were just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it would either be meaningless or just random. Yeah. It's like, exactly like that. Just like a few words that don't even complete a sentence together. And they were like, people would not, I, you know, not ironically wear them. Like they, they were trying to buy into this American culture that they, either they themselves or like the manufacturers of these products or both 
like completely don't understand. Uh, and I'm, I suppose that maybe that even like makes it even more difficult to be there as a, as kind of like a foreigner, because you see these things that are like attempting to be American culture and they aren't similar to like, I bet it's the same here where like we try to have like pockets of like, this is, you know, us trying to accept Japanese culture, but we're just like terrible just at it. Just doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. We're just, you know, uh, did it make it hard? I mean, you see those things and you were like, ah, this isn't quite, I mean, you're, yeah, I get what I, you're trying to do, but I think I remember when the, when the second time I was there teaching English, I was super homesick mm. and I went to a TGI Fridays and it was honestly the happiest I had been because it was like, it was American enough at in, in Japan. Japan yeah. yeah. Like they got it just enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think not again, not so much from the Japanese people, but more from the, the other foreigners where like, I really wanted them to be American because I think kind of for that same reason, it's like, yes, we speak the same language. Yes. I can communicate with them, but they're just not the same. Yeah, exactly the same reason, right? Like just being able to say like, Oh, you are so close. Right. Exactly. And if, you, if you were just like just a little bit more, it would be perfect. But now that you're not, it, so I had an interesting conversation Similar to this, this isn't exactly the same thing, uh, but I had a similar conversation to this on a podcast is that you actually, um, the, you know, the person that you, this is going to get, I don't know, it'll make sense, I think, I, I probably have to talk through it, but the person that you hate the most is not your exact opposite, it is the person that is the nearest neighbor to you, that he's or has gone past you. Uh, to a point that you can't accept it or has not accepted where you're at. And that's your greatest enemy, right? Uh, so like being in a different culture, being in Japan and experiencing Japanese culture, isn't the shock, isn't the thing that is the most frustrating about being homesick, right? It's the fact that there are things that are trying to be close, but they just don't right. quite make it. Exactly, And that actually is a hundred times more frustrating that in fact, if those things didn't exist, you probably wouldn't have been, you may not have been as homesick because you wouldn't have even right. noticed it was necessarily gone. Yeah. Like if I was the only American in like a tiny town, which is some of the, like the people who do jet, like they get in that situation. Yeah. Like I, I think it may have been different where I would have, instead of trying to constantly retreat to things I knew, I'd be like, well, I'm here. I might as well just dive just immerse it. yourself. Yeah. And, and there's nothing to like, tease you on the fact that you're not there like to you know there's no there's no mcdonald's and that you could walk into and be like oh man this is almost like being at home except it's not at all it's not quite is it different have you been to a japanese i mean oh, yeah. I assume I, you've been to a japanese no i totally McDonald's. did um i actually got sick at one <laughs> and uh do they have different items if, if they they do they do there's like a teriyaki burger but there's also just burgers and stuff but. sure but yeah, the um, I got, I got super sick, and I it had to have been from McDonald's. But the other thing I ate that day was soba, which is noodles. I don't know how you can get sick from soba. Yeah. But uh, I remember I was I got got home from work. And I knew I wasn't feeling well, and like I didn't want to walk up the hill to my apartment from the train station. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a train or I'm gonna take a taxi. Sure. So I got in the taxi, and in taxis in Japan, the the door is automatic. Like the, op the driver opens it and closes it for you. Sure. So I hail a taxi and I sit down and I tell him where I live. And like, so 
one thing that took getting used to in Japan, and I think it may be changing now, but there's still a lot of smoking and smoking inside and smoking at kind of public places. So this cab reeked of cigarettes. <laughs> and as soon as I sat down and took that first whiff, I knew I was going to puke. <laughs> so I sit down, I tell him, and I'm like, I knew right away, okay, this isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to puke. And so I'm yelling at him to open the door in Japanese. And it takes me a few times. I don't know if I wasn't saying it right or I was just freaking him out. Sure. But he, he finally opens the door. I lean out, just puke. And then like I kind of get out and he drives away as fast as possible. <laughs> and there's all these people kind of, I think a couple of them asked me if I was all right. But uh, yeah, that's my food poisoning <laughs> in Japan story. That's ridiculous. Well, right on, man. Uh, I, that's a terrible way to end a segment, but I think we're going to take another break uh, and uh, get more beers, and we'll be right back. Word. All right, we're back uh, from our last break there. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to <laughs> brought this up on the break, but I kind of wanted to talk about it again. Uh, I don't, I don't think you realize this, but you are the most famous person I've had on this podcast, and and I say that because uh, you're the only one that has worked on things that like people know about, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, you mentioned you, at one point you had a, a Reddit thread about you. Yeah, somebody, um, they must have been stalking my LinkedIn. And <laughs> when I added that I was working on Mass Effect Andromeda, somebody made a Reddit post that said, like, lead raid designer George Smith, leave Star Wars. And it turned into, like, the top voted thread on the Star Wars Hilder Public subreddit. And it was mostly positive. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, kind of neat. Did you get any like trolly people on there that were just like this motherfucker? I hated all his raids. Um, I think there was, but it really was genuinely positive. And like, as far as the star Wars communities goes, the, the star Wars subreddit has always been kind of like the positive place. Sure. So, um, what's, what's interesting about the, uh, the, uh, I guess the LinkedIn part of it is, um, maybe this is, um, unique to game design or, I don't know. Maybe some industries do this, but like you said that they noticed that you switched like what project because you didn't move companies. No. So like you actually list which project you're working on on that. Like, yeah, I think about my LinkedIn page. It just says company that I'm working for. Right. Um, we work on different, pro- you know, like there's projects inside the company, but I'm not updating those. I guess maybe it's more relevant when you're working on a video yeah, game. Kind of a, uh- a metric of your experience in games is your shipped projects. Sure. So yeah, it's kind of, yes, I may have worked at EA for 10 years, but you know, these are the things I did within that time. Right. Yeah. It it's kind of, like- to, it's kind of to show that you've gone through the development cycle this many times and like, Hey, I have experience with this kind of game and this kind of game. And so, yeah, it, maybe it is kind of a, game development specific thing, but yeah, the projects you've been on. I wonder if it maybe translates to things like, uh, movies and things like that. Like where if you're like, a, 
I guess that's maybe a little bit different where I, you know, like if you were like a makeup artist for like films and stuff like that and you owned your own company, you wouldn't list that you work for your own company. You'd be like, I worked on this movie and this right. movie and this movie. I mean, yeah. you'd probably say that you had your own company, but yeah, but I think you'd, you'd be important list the to show like, Hey, I worked on this sci-fi movie and all we did were those crazy aliens. But then I also did this, this period piece where we did, um, yeah. Victorian guy, type stuff. Yeah. I was so. the guy in charge of the CGI for Yoda's cloak. Yeah. You know, exactly. just like just his jacket, uh, which apparently is actually a thing. There oh, was really? like in uh, episode uh, one or two, um, all this new CGI, there was like one guy that was in charge of just the CGI for just his cloak. Oh, wow. Like that's, that's all he handled. Um, I feel like I learned that in college or something. I went to a very, they, they did game design at my college. Now that I think about it, I had a roommate that was doing game design. Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Full Sail University oh, in Orlando. Oh, yeah, I've heard Florida. of that. Um, in uh, Florida? Yeah, okay. uh, Orlando, Winter Park uh, oh. area. Um, but anyway, yeah, they had a whole game design. I had a roommate that was a game designer. Um, I don't think he ever built anything. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> I wonder what he's doing now. I don't I don't even remember. I think yeah, his name is Corey. I, there's a lot of know. those schools, right? And I don't know what Full Sail is like, but there's a lot of like Art Institute and whatnot that will take your money and give you a degree, but... I actually don't know how close that puts you to actually getting a game job other than, you know, honestly, I don't know how much, uh, to having a degree gets you close to having most jobs anymore. Uh, especially even in technology, like things change so quickly that outside of like, uh, kind of higher end management, project management, stuff like that. Like even those, maybe you don't even need it. Um, like, you know, it's coding, programming, stuff like that. Um, really everything that you're going to use is going to change in about six months. Uh, so like going to college for four years to study that thing and then get out and know nothing about what the fuck is going on anymore. Um, seems a little bit ridiculous. Um, but I don't know. You, you went to Ohio university University of Oregon, Oregon. Oregon. Uh, but you went because you liked Japanese stuff. Yeah, I it had did. nothing to I had do with nothing to do with games at all. I yeah. just totally lucked into games. What were you majoring in? Japanese. Oh, just yeah. <laughs> you were just yeah. like seriously Japanese study. Yeah. I'm yeah. like going full bore into this thing. I had no plan. That's that's awesome. I was young and <laughs> idealistic, I guess. <laughs> well, uh glad we you ended up where you where you did. It this. somehow worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's so like um, I guess we talked a little bit, you know, the, the origins of how you got into, got into games, but I feel like that's kind of a niche area of like work, you know, like I think there's a lot of people that would say, Oh, it'd be cool to work on a video game or would it, you know, be cool to design for a video game. But, um, was there anything about, I guess, was it purely luck or was there anything about like your experience or at some point did you decide that this was like, yep, I'm doing this for sure. No, it, it really was the, like we talked about, I was playing a game a lot at my parents' house and they were hiring people and like, one and you're of the, just like Fuck it, one of the requirements was like, you needed to know about the game. So, uh, and then that was it. And it's just been kind of a turn. I mean, I definitely enjoy it. There's, it's, um, I enjoy it and I have, obviously I'm good at it at some level. So, uh, 
it's worked out, but it's never been something that I actively seeked out. Well, uh, I'm excited that it's worked out because, again, you're like the most famous person I know <laughs> and the most famous person on my podcast uh, solely because you've had a Reddit thread about you, which is, yeah. which is, I feel like I could just start a Reddit thread about myself and no one would read it, but <laughs> it would exist. And, and that's the point. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you about something you said you, at the bar earlier. You said, uh, so I have a cat. Um, he's not doing super awesome right now. He might be, I don't know where he is. He always crashed out on the couch. He's so not supposed to be on the couch right now, uh, but he's crashed out. He's the co-host of this podcast. Usually he sits on top of the audio equipment here. I think it, cause it's warm, but, um, I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, you, I have a cat. Uh, he's he's working through some issues right now, uh, getting getting right in his head. Uh, and uh, you mentioned that you felt like cats in general just have a bad rap. I, I do. As, I feel like cats are. I feel like recently, and maybe this is just the way that like you see the world now through whatever portion of internet that you look at it through. But I feel that like right now, like dogs are on a big boom, right? To be fair, we also live in Austin. Yeah, that's true. That's what I'm saying. Maybe it is kind of a skewed thing just based on like where we are and yeah. who our friends are. But I feel like dogs are having a boom. And don't get me wrong. I have no problem with dogs. Like all grow, growing like up, dogs. we had dogs. You like dogs? I like dogs. I like dogs. <laughs> yeah. so growing up, we had dogs and cats always. Yeah. But I feel that like there's definitely like if you look on Tinder... Right, like if you're sending home swiping, there's you know there's gonna be all these girls be like, you got to be cool with my dog, or like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to go Which, throw the ball with my dog. Actually, I I actually let's talk about that for a second. All right, all right let's let's get into being single in my thirties. Uh, are you single? I am you, single. Okay, yeah, so yeah. yeah, let's both get into being single. Yeah. Uh, so two things that I've that I've noticed it is incredibly hard to date a woman that owns a dog uh, because they have so much. It's like if, okay, there, there's a lot of people out there that will say like having a dog is not like having a kid, but in the dating yeah. world, it's like fucking having a kid. Yeah. Like you can't just like, I have a cat. If I left for the night and stayed at someone's house because we had a really great time or, or maybe we've been in a relationship for a while and, I just decided to like stay at that person's house. My cat is fucking fine. Yeah. He shits in a box. He's got food out. He's not going to destroy everything in the, in the house. But the opposite is not true. If they have a dog like, Oh no, I have to go home and I have to make sure it's fed and walked. And then I have to put it in the crate. So it won't like chew up your shoes while we're sleeping and all kinds of it's, it's actually yeah. a big pain in the fucking ass. Yeah. Simultaneously, I've been told by several people that the way that I could like get a girlfriend is just get a dog and then go hang out at the dog park. And then like people with dogs like to, you know, everyone wants to meet your dog at the bar. Everyone wants to like, you, you'll be out there throwing a Frisbee with a dog. And I don't know there, maybe there's some sort of like romantic, just like right. the sun is shining perfectly <laughs> on my t-shirted body out, out in the, dog park throwing the best frisbee throw ever and they're like wow he threw that 
forehand, it which, you know, like everyone throws backhand Frisbee. This guy's throwing forehand. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what that means in my life. Plus dog. Uh, I need to, I need to have me some of that. Um, but it, it offers a lot of inconvenience. I, I honestly think it, me personally also think that, uh, dogs are worse for the dating world. Um, I, I don't know. What, I have, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I have to say that I was dating her was maybe being generous. <laughs> if, if we define dating as like, I don't know, but there was a girl we hung who out I, like there a was a girl I was hanging out with, with the ex, ex, intent of, um, dating of dating her yeah. in the physical sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, the only thing she would want to do is go to the dog park and they're, here in Austin, there's this place called the Yard Bar. It's oh, on yeah. Burnett. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I, the only thing she wanted to do. And then there was another girl who, that's what she wanted to do on our first date because she had a dog. She wanted to go to Yard Bar. And like, I'm not uh, entirely against Yard Bar. I've right. been there. But I don't want, I have no reason to be there. It's not a good bar. No, it is literally a, like, for people who haven't been there, it is, <laughs> I think it was a old putt-putt golf course. Yep. From like the, you know, from like the seventies, eighties, like not like a fancy one, but like a real cheesy one. And somebody bought it and took everything down. So it's basically just an empty lot with a trailer that sells some beer and people let their dogs run around it. When I'm sure if you have a dog, it's great. But if you don't have a dog, it's not great. Yeah. It's, it's kind of pointless. And, and again, like if, if I was dating someone and they had a dog and they were like, Let's go to yard bar so the dog can hang out. Like, I'm not also against that right. situation. Like, yeah, we can we can have a fun time with your pet out doing all of these things. Uh, but especially in like the early stages of dating where it's where it's very much like how much of my life or how much of each of our lives are we going to inconvenience for this person that we barely know. Right. Uh, to try and build a relationship out of this thing. I think, I think you can make, it's easier to make a compromise to say like, Hey, you have to go take, you know, your dog home or whatever. Okay. Well we can sleep at your house again. If you've been dating for, you know, six months, a year or whatever, you know, like it's, it's much easier to make that distinction. But if it's like the third time you've ever hung out and it's the third time you're going to yard bar and you're like, Seriously, woman, like, right, can we like, just like, can we go get like Italian or right, something? Like, like, let's, yeah, exactly. Can like, I take you out to the, a nice dinner. Yeah, a part of the reason why I want a relationship is so, like, hey, let's go to Barley Swine. Let's go to all these cool places that Austin has to offer. Yeah, all these like really nice, amazing yeah. experiences that we could that we could do. Uh, that not only do I want to experience, but I want to experience with someone else. Right, exactly. And your basically child. Uh, this is, this sounds really bad. <laughs> I just, you know, we're never going to, we're going to be single forever. We're going to be single now. for fucking ever. Like, uh, <laughs> as soon as this gets published, <laughs> I am no longer going to be dateable, which is, it's, I'm already, all right. Well, I got, I got two weeks, so <laughs> two weeks before this releases. So we're, we're good. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I totally, I, I totally, and I, I totally agree. And I think that's kind of a part of where I feel that it's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there. It's like, if you don't have a dog, like I don't want anything to do with you. Or like, there's just like the dog is their life. 
And yeah. like, I get that. Right. And like, I don't, to be fair, I love my cat. I mean, like my cat is amazing. I'm, I, I, you know, like I would do a lot of things, to, to, you know, to facilitate owning a cat, but I also feel like a cat doesn't encroach so much on my life that I'm not free to continue right. being a single man in his thirties. Maybe that's why I'm a single man right. in my thirties. Maybe that's I don't know. Part, but I feel that that's where I feel that cats get a bad rap. It's, it's yeah. like I feel like cat is like. And I have two cats too. I love my cats, but I also feel exactly what you do. Like if I decided tonight, I'm not going home. That's yeah. fine. I'm going to walk home. You know, I'll go in to my house tomorrow or the next day. My cats will be like, nothing happened. Right. Yeah. I'll be like, fuck you. Why are you here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like they don't even care. Yeah, that leave me alone. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, I just wouldn't have that freedom if I had a dog. Yeah. Um, you absolutely would not. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's the it's kind of like the bad rap that cats have as the pet of the lonely person. Um, this is like and you're swiping on Tinder, which to like, be fair, all pets are pets of lonely people. Right, but like I feel that d- like I agree, but I don't think that people think of that when they think of dogs. Mm. Yeah, you just like rescued it. You're just like a good person. Right. Or or something. But you were saying when you're swiping. Well, when you're swiping on the Tinder, there'll be like, there'll be the people who are, hey, I, you need to be cool with my dog. Like my dog is number one or like, hey, I'm just looking for someone to go to the dog park with my dog or, but then there's also the people who are like, I'm allergic to cats. And like, yeah. I get that, but I don't know. There's no one, maybe it. The the ones that say like you have to be all right with my dog or like just looking for someone to go to the dog park with my dog and stuff like that. What boggles my mind about that is like that is why you're on Tinder because yeah. obviously you you probably wouldn't say that if you didn't have failed relationships because of the fact that you have a dog. Like it it wouldn't even be a thing. Like if if a dog was not an inconvenience, what is that? If a dog was not an yeah, that was crazy. If a dog is not an inconvenience in your life, then you would never have to like bring that up right at the front of a terrible dating app, right? You wouldn't have to qualify like the reason why you're on there because you're just looking for someone. Like I, I'm not just looking for someone who will get along with my cat. I don't even mention that I have it. Maybe there's a picture of me and my cat on, uh, on X dating website, but it's, it's not a thing that comes up. It's like, I just own a cat. Like, even if you were allergic to it, I feel like there's ways we could figure this out. (laughs) Like, you know, like, uh, okay, like fine. You're allergic to it. We're not going to live together tomorrow. Right. (laughs) One, you know, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about it if it moves anywhere past that. But it's also not going to inconvenience our ability to like build a relationship together because he's a cat. He can fucking take care of himself. He's a badass. He'll land on all fours. Right. You know? Um Yeah, I do agree with you. They get a little bit of a bad rap. However, I I uh read something um it was a while back. Uh I think I put it on a blog at some point. Um but it was that like some of the best people in the world uh, have cats um, and they were all like writers. It was a poem by a, 
Monica Wood. I, I just pulled it up. So uh, she said that uh, T.S. Eliot loved cats. William Butler Yeats loved cats. Christina Rossetti loved cats. John Keats, J.R.R. Tolkien, Mark Twain, Christopher Smart, Marianne Moore, Ernest Hemingway, Oscar Wilde, Doris Lessing, Rita Mae Brown, Carolyn Shute, and Nalo Fallon. Isn't it time you got a cat? Uh, it's like all of these like brilliant people just love cats. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, my cat, you, you mentioned earlier, he's got extra toes. It's named a Hemingway cat yeah, yeah, because he used, to, he used to collect six-toed cats. Um, I, I agree. They probably make, I mean, they make great pets, one. They're super independent. They will love you unconditionally just as much, if not more than a dog would. Uh, and especially in the sense that they, you kind of have to earn it. Like there's, you can't just like pet a cat and all of a sudden you're best friends. Like, uh, I think it's really funny. I've, I've gone over to friends houses that have cats and like, I'll come up to the cat and be able to pet it right away. And they're like, Oh my God, they usually like run away from people. And it's like, no, I like I have cats. Like I, I know how to handle a cat. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, but dogs are not like that. You could just be like, hey, come here. I have like a stake in my pocket or whatever. And <laughs> right. And they'll be, just come running. They'll yeah. just be all about it. So. Yeah. And I don't, again, I, I've, we had dogs growing up. I have nothing against dogs, but I just feel that, again, this may be tainted through the window that we look at the world through from internet and dating and such. But cats are, um, cats have a bad rap. And uh, I want to make a stand for cats. <laughs> the cats are, a great pet for everyone. And, well, uh, uh, I read this. I think I said this earlier, but I, I read this in somewhere. I think there's more pet cats in the world than there are pet dogs. Uh, now, also, we're talking about the world. So, like, <coughs> I don't know. There's uh, prob- maybe another country that has more cats than we do. Um, but I think we talked about this too is like the difference between like what's socially acceptable of the amount of pets you can have. Like people very, at least more regularly have like three, four, five cats. And at the most people have like two dogs, Yeah, you know? And like, Uh, I have two cats and I, that wasn't my plan. Sure. Like I just never anyone's plan. I decided I wanted a cat and then my friends were fostering two cats and like I ended up getting both. And I'm glad I did because they kind of keep each other company. Because when I got them, they were both very young. Yeah. And I think if there had just been one of them, they probably would have torn up my house. Yeah. And said they just chase each other around. <laughs> but yeah. Um What are your cats' names, by the way? Leroy and Lemmy. Like it. That's awesome. Okay. Anyway, continue. Um I forget where I was going with this. Um Oh, the acceptable amount of cats. Oh, the acceptable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think people accept cats and multiples more than dogs. And I think to properly take care of multiple dogs, you need lots of space, which not everybody has. Yeah, like a cat can exist in a much smaller footprint than a than a dog can. Even even if you know, like you go one to one. Like my cat's an indoor cat. He basically lives in this apartment, which isn't huge, but it's not tiny. Uh, and he's just fine. But if I had a dog, like he couldn't just live in here. Like he has to go out. He has to go. I also, so here's another thing. I keep saying he for dogs and dogs can be girls. Uh, there's a word for it. Uh, but, uh, uh, 
every, almost every time uh, cat uh, like someone comes over and meets my cat, they call him a she. Oh, really? It's a boy cat. I'm like, why do cats have to be girls all the time? Like, why do dogs have to be boys and cats have to be girls? I mean, I just did it. I just called random arbitrary dog a he. Let's get into gender topic. All right. <laughs> Let's get into I, gender I can issues. See that. Like, no. <laughs> my cats are males too, but I don't. I don't know if anyone's ever met them and not just assumed they were female. But, not assumed they were female, or, or, or did assume they or were. Or I think I may have. I think everyone who knows them, like I've never introduced them to a complete stranger without kind of like saying that they were he's. But yeah, it'd be kind of that'd be an interesting experiment. I'd be like, hey, here's my cats. What do you think they are? Let's see what the <laughs> probably just go girl all the yeah. time. To be fair, my cat is neutered, so <laughs> we're we're halfway there, guys. Right. Uh, yeah. But it technically isn't a male, right? But but at the same time, like I you know, like Sid, uh I'll tell people that. Like I've I've been like, Oh yeah, this is my cat. His name is Sid. And they'll be like, oh, she's so great. And I'm like, I just said his mm. name is boy name. Like, <laughs> how, how more boy did I need to be about? I don't know. And, you know, uh, this I can make a terrible comment. And I why not? Uh, like, I don't know how Sid self-identifies. I don't, right. It could be anything. Uh, it could be anything. Uh, but I'm fairly certain he's okay with being a boy. And... That's what I've told people that he is. Uh, so anyway, cats. Yeah. Bad rap. Cats have bad rap. If you're out there listening. Adopt give, a cat. Give like, cats seriously. a chance, dude. I love, I seriously love cats. I've always been fascinated by them. There's uh the Egyptians treated them like royalty. So I think did, there's something there. So uh, did, uh, the prophet Muhammad. Really? Cat, cats are allowed in mosques. Dogs aren't. Really? I yeah. didn't even know that. If uh, you've, there's kind of a thing on the internet about uh, Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like stray cats everywhere. Really? Yeah. There's like a cats like of feral cats. Kind of. Yeah. There's like a cats of Inst- cats of Istanbul Instagram. There's Interesting. Like a, there's a movie about it. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Now, what do you think about like? So uh, I, again, I think it's maybe a little skewed because we live in Austin and there's like just. Uh, you know, Zilker Bark Twitter or Instagram feed. And, oh, really? Uh, just, I, I hate that based on the name immediately. Yeah, you you probably should. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but there's like just like everyone's showing off their dog in Austin. Um, but the internet is actually uh, just you know a wash in With cats. Cats, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I can has cheeseburger. Um, you know, grumpy cat, all of these cat memes, um, monorail cat, you yeah, know, long cat is long. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, how do you think it's, is it different online? Is it just maybe the people are online? Is it more socially acceptable to like cats online than it is in person? Uh, that I've, I've thought of that too, because that's right. Because like, if you, you ask people, what's the internet and it's cat pictures and porn, right? Yeah, exactly. But, um, Maybe it is like maybe the internet of 30 somethings, right? Because, like, when we were growing up, the internet was new, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, that, that was the cat internet. Maybe now for people in their 20s, it's dogs. And like, but, it's dog but is it really? Like, I, don't I don't know. know. Again, that's what I keep saying about like looking through it from our skewed view, right? Sure. Of living in Austin and like whoever our friends happen to be on Facebook and such. But yeah, yeah, I'd be, 
I wonder if there's some metric we can look at to be like, are dogs on the rise on the internet compared to cats? Or, I bet there's like, oh, we can just look at Google search results or something like dog versus cat. Right. Um, I don't know. It, to me, it's always been really interesting because it, it is that like in practice, like if, if I walk to the, we were just at the bar and there were like seven dogs yeah, at the when bar. When we were leaving, it was very loud. Yeah. It was also ter- yeah. another reason why cats are better than dogs. Uh, you put seven cats in a place, it never gets so loud you can't talk. Yeah. Um, seven dogs in a place, it's going to be bad. They're going to bark at each other. Anyway, um, but all these people there with dogs, I bet if we went around, most people would say they were like, quote unquote, dog people. They would want to be uh, associated with dogs. But I wonder if we took those same people and they were online if they would be, uh, you know, just as into the cat memes as anything else, you know, like maybe they don't have cats themselves, but like, um, I feel like that's part of it, right? Like it's not necessarily that you have to have a cat, but you like appreciate them on some level. Uh, and maybe they actually are, maybe they do have a good rap. Um, but just in a way where I can be anonymous. Yeah. And I think that I, kind of this goes back to like the cat is the pet of the lonely person. Right. Sure. But someone who spends a lot of time on the internet may be more likely to be a cat person. Right. Um, sure. Yeah. Where you're more, uh, have you heard the, I think it's kind of an urban myth, but the toxoplasmosis Mm-mm. that I don't know what this cats is. have a parasite. And again, this is, I think it's an urban myth, but like okay. if, if humans get it, it makes you more likely to like, it makes you more amiable oh, to cats. Yeah, yeah. I actually have heard that. Yeah, they they have a parasite, and when it just makes you like, if you accepting think accepting of cats. like if you think cats smell good, it means you have this parasite. I don't even know what a cat smells like. I've heard it described, and this is pretty accurate, as a drawer full of mittens. <laughs> it's like if you get. <laughs> Like I'm sorry. I just had this like terrible, terrible image in my head, which was a drawer full of a cat called mittens. Oh no, the <laughs> like, drawer full of actual just... mittens. And you open it up, and it's like slightly musty, but not bad. <laughs> and it's kind of like if I get like real, and I get a big sniff, like my cat's head. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You smell like you smell like mittens. Yeah, it's not, but a, not the cat. Not just... mittens, the cat. No, yeah. actually, like mittens on your hand. Although. To be fair, like a drawer full of mittens, mittens the, cat the cat still <laughs> smells like a drawer full of mittens. <laughs> yeah, it's true. As uh, long as you just don't get the other. The, if you get the, yeah, the, I mean, the ass it, end, smells like ass. But yeah. The, <laughs> Depends uh, on how disemboweled said mittens is. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe I am fully. I keep dropping the pen. I'm sorry. If it's I'm okay. Surprised. I don't know. It probably does. We'll hear it on the. We'll hear I'm, it on the play. I'll be honest. I'm kind of a fidgeter. Oh, it's a, oh man! You should have said something. I have a fidget cube. I've got fidget spinners. Oh wow! I've, I got, I've got all the fidget toys. Uh, I'm mildly obsessed with fidget spinners. Um, not that I think they're actually that cool uh, or that effective as a fidget toy, but I just love the idea that they are this thing that exists in our lifetime now, and that people are obsessed with them, like. And not just kids. I was talking to someone who's like 45 the other day and they own like five of them wow. and they were looking for a very specific one. 
Uh, like based on the color or like a design? Oh, uh, they wanted a Batman one. Oh, because they really like Batman. Also, uh, I was on I was online. Um, so I've I've used to be in the music industry, not in it anymore. Uh, now doing this podcast thing. So uh, point of this whole thing was that I uh, I know a little bit about audio equipment, microphones, things like that. Definitely would recognize like you know, top brands of microphones and uh, audio equipment and whatnot. And uh, Neumann, they make some of the best condenser microphones in the history of microphones, uh, at least some of the most famous ones, right? Um, The Neumann U87 is probably one of the most utilized vocal microphones. If you've listened to music in the last, I don't know, 40 years, you've heard a recording that came through on a Neumann U87. Um, they, (laughs) I saw an ad on Facebook that they made like two limited edition fidget spinners. Oh, wow. Like this old ass, like very niche company. Like you don't give a shit who Neumann is. I don't think, I'm Uh, sure I've, I've probably seen it, but yeah, it's off the top of my head. I can guarantee you I could talk to every single person within a mile of me and maybe three would know who the fuck Neumann was, even though they're one of the most recognizable uh, microphone companies in the world is because microphones don't matter to most people. Uh, even in Austin where we do live music all the time. Um, but they had a contest to give away like two fidget spinners and it was, it was a silly little, you know, it's like a, a circle with their logo on it, but the little uh, arms of it, you know, the part that spins around were like little microphones. Oh, wow. on the edge. So I tried to get it. I'm probably not going to win, uh, but Neumann uh, be a sponsor and send me a <laughs> fidget spinner. And I'll talk about it on the next podcast uh, to so all. These, but we're not using Neumann's, right? We are not. We're using uh sure uh, SM seven B's. Uh, they are sure is a, another uh, kind of really famous microphone company. They've been around for fucking ever. Um, but this is probably one of the most, this and the RE20 are probably the two most used uh, radio microphones in the world. Um, so that's what we're using. Um, good microphone. Anyway, giant. <laughs> but, uh, okay, anyway, we got we got crazy off topic. Oh, no, so, it's all good. So yeah, I am a fidgeter, and I, I have considered the fidget cube. I don't know if I, the fidget spinner, it doesn't seem like it's active enough. Like you just kind of get it spinning and then you hold it, right? Like, well, you stop and start it. It's kind of like one of those things. You let us like fling it and then stop and then fling it again, stop and fling it. Like there's people that do tricks and whatnot. And those people are not fidgeting. Those people are like trying to make an extreme sport. And, and I, you know what? I saw a game of cornhole on ESPN two yesterday and I couldn't believe that it was there. And so it would not surprise me if in five years fidget spinning is a sport on ESPN too. Uh, so this was competitive cornhole? Competitive cornhole, yeah. They had they had teams. They had fucking sponsors. Um, it was like super legit, and everyone that was playing was like crazy out of shape. Oh, it wow. Was, it, it was like watching bowling without the athleticism. <laughs> I, which I think is 
Yeah, there's this a restaurant is, I go is, to a couple uh, sometimes on like Sunday mornings. Yeah. And yeah, they have bowling playing. And I'm like, wow, I cannot believe that professional bowling is still on TV. That there's enough people watching it that's like, well, we might as well play this. It's better than the alternative. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But anyway, yeah. Professional cornhole was on last night. Professional fidget spinning would not surprise me. But as like a fidget toy, like something that I just like play around with. It's kind of cool. You've probably seen me walking around at magic nights and stuff like that. Every once in a while I have one. I'm just spinning it around. Um, But yeah, like you you fling it and then it's going. If you just sat there and just let it sit, it's totally not working. But I usually just like stop and start it. For me, when like um, in our D&D group, uh, one of the people has one sometimes and she'll just let let it go and actually enjoy the sound it makes. That's yeah, that's true. It's kind of like like a bearing, just like yeah, it's a little know, bit of that. You ever seen that ASMR stuff online? No, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't I don't know what it stands for, but it's this phenomenon of if you go on YouTube, it's everywhere. Um, of people, and I get it too from, but I get it from people singing or humming softly. It's like a sensation. It's a pleasurable insa- sensation in your head. Okay. Um, so autonomous like, sensory meridian response. And so people will online, if you go to YouTube and type that in, there'll be all kinds of videos of people with these very particular binaural, I think is how you pronounce it. Maybe? Binaural. Binaural microphones. And they'll yeah. take like paper and they'll crinkle it around that, or they'll take plastic and crinkle it. Have you ever listened to binaural recordings and stuff like that? No, I'm only a couple times through those videos. Oh man, it is. So it's actually a really fun thing to record. So they they make these microphones that are shaped like heads. They're like a oh, yeah, the head yeah. of a of a crash dummy or whatever. And the microphones so like are actually ears, right. Yeah, the microphones are actually where like the eardrums would be on a like inside the head. So like sound actually has to travel through like a canal and like there's bone structure in the head that is going to affect those microphones, stuff oh, like that. Wow. It's like the most, I guess the closest to like recording what your eardrums are doing when they hear sound that that's possible. Uh, but the, I remember the first time I ever listened to like, a, not like it's, there's people that make like binaural beats and stuff like that. They're supposed to lull you into these trances. I think more what you were talking about ASMR stuff. Right. But, uh, um, th- if you, you can also use it to like record ambiances. So if you were going to record in surround sound or something like that, um, you could actually record in stereo with two microphones and make someone feel immersed in, in, in uh-huh. a, in like a place because, uh, the sound will affect the microphones the same way it'll affect their ears. And if you play that, through headphones where they're isolated from everything else. It'll feel like they were wherever that head was. Uh, And I remember the first time that I listened to one of these, we had one set up and uh, it was in a recording studio. So the, the thing, the head is in the recording studio and I can see it through a glass window and I'm in the recording studio with headphones on um, or I'm in the control room with headphones on. Uh, and everything's mic'd up and someone like walked, I watched someone walk through the, the studio and walk behind the head. 
and I turned around oh, wow. thinking someone was, was behind, behind me. you. Yeah. It was the most bizarre thing in the world. Anyway, that's my binaural story. But <laughs> but yeah, there's a whole thing on YouTube of people and it kind of gets into like this to me a slightly creepy role playing of like, yeah, they'll have that head headphone, right? Or the head microphone. Yeah. And then they'll kind of pretend to be cutting hair, right? Like they'll have the scissors and they'll oh, make that the sound. Is creepy. And they'll be kind of whispering into the microphone and like, yeah, they'll purposely like, oh, I'm going to go over to your left ear now. And I'm going to go over to your right ear. <laughs> so, uh, but that's honestly, if I got one, I think I may actually just let it go because I kind of enjoy the sound of it. Right on. But yeah, bad fidgeter. So if you hear me dropping a pen, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm, I'm actively, right now there's two pens in front of me <laughs> and, and I'm actively-, actively fighting the urge to pick it up and just, just go like that with it. So, well, to be fair, uh, you won't have to wait much longer. I think we, uh, we could probably call the podcast at this point, Sweet. but, uh, you know, it was great talking to you. Yeah. Um, uh, it was fun. Yeah, uh, man. I hope people enjoy listening to, uh, us ramble. But, yeah, uh, most definitely. Uh, thanks again for coming. Uh, it was really great having you here. Uh, if you're out there listening, uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Check out the Patreon page at, uh, patreon.com slash spincast and donate if you feel like it. Uh, and we will see you next week. Yep.